keep going. Welcome to the Keep Going Podcast. I'm Steve, and I'm one of your hosts. This episode is in honor of Lightning Larry Bright. Larry was an athlete I coached, a coach I mentored, and a friend with whom I shared smiles and miles and tears. Larry took his own life recently, and I wanted to take this opportunity to ask each of you to reach out to someone you know today to tell them that you care for them. We never know how our actions might positively impact a friend or a colleague who may be in need of a simple touch. Please do not miss this opportunity. We are all interconnected, and what happens to one of us happens to all of us. In this episode, Michael and I debrief our experience at the Indianapolis Monumental Marathon. I came away from the race, which by nearly all metrics was an unmitigated success, feeling a shadow lingering. Every athlete either set a personal best or ran better than they had hoped. But because one athlete in our group was trying to qualify for the U.S. Olympic trials, the stakes seemed even higher than usual. She missed the required mark after staying on pace for over 20 miles. Yet her ability to hold sub-six-minute pace became frustratingly untenable. She still set a PR and slipped under the 240 barrier, but our entire group felt a sense of sadness that was palpable even as we celebrated post-race. Michael and I worked through this ambiguity and its shadow in this episode. Hopefully you can resonate and learn from our shared exploration of the episode that we call Embracing Uncertainty, Pattern and Chaos in Assessing Results. Godspeed, my friends. Godspeed. What are we talking about today? Being in the weeds. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Yes, in the weeds. That's a that's a great metaphor for life. Isn't but it? I'm glad we set aside a time or set time aside. To yeah, I almost called you today and said, "Let's not do it," and then because I just felt like your stress levels were going to be too high. They're not. And they're- then I thought, you know what? One of the things I've learned in life is if you show up, amazing things happen. And, yeah. and almost always showing up when you think it doesn't work out is like almost exactly the right time to show up. I agree. The <laughs> yeah, when I could tell that maybe you were thinking, "Oh, Mike's gonna blow a gasket." Because- <laughs> That's what I was worried. That's what I was worried about. I was a little worried about that. I'm like, "Oh, we can squeeze in a recording, maybe around, you know, maybe Tuesday, maybe Wednesday." But I just get the the reality is, I don't have I don't have a lot to do, man. <laughs> I really don't. If you really boil it down. I don't I don't have that much shit that don't has tell to be done. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> but here's what's interesting, and this is what I can't seem to figure out, is that I you know, when it when it comes to like the shoes or whatever, the the th- it's a twenty four seven trying to figure out something that needs it's kinda like trying to figure out something you don't know what you're trying to figure out. So this segues perfectly into our topic of conversation today. Does it? Yeah, because you threw out, let's talk about the race, which for everybody listening, number one, Michael's leaving um, on Thursday to go to Japan for 10 days. So that's why we're squeezing a recording in. Number two, we just got back from hanging with each other for most of a weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, We went to the Indianapolis Monumental Marathon where I had a group of athletes racing and we had one athlete trying to get an Olympic trials qualifier and we spent a good bit of time together in that. And your mentioning uncertainty has been the little uh, marble that's been running around in my washing machine of a brain mm-hmm. since the race was over. Really? It's just this concept that I keep talking about. I have got to plumb. I've got to go really deep into the idea of uncertainty because c- certainty is so baked into the DNA of the human species, pattern recognition, having patterns, creating habits, and all those things are the way we make order and sense of our spaces. Yet uh, life, if it teaches us anything, is that pattern can be shifted and changed at any point in time. And 
a dependence on that pattern will create a liability somewhere down the line. And so being ready for, and I can only give the, the term I have for not pattern is uncertainty. Well, you also, there was like, I, I don't know what, what the exact phrase is, but you use it. It's saying something about be prepared for the race, but don't expect a time. Like, like what, what is it? Well, I have, uh, arbi- well, I guess there's the arbitrariness of times, which is something we could definitely lean in today. It's not to, that but, one. It was um, something really cool. It was like, you're not owed something. Uh, uh, I've got the marathon always wins, but that's not exactly it. I don't know. We'll come up on it. I'll, I'll probably throw it out here because since I've got these yeah. sort of cliches, like my own creative cliches. It's a special I, one and I'd like to lock it in and document it because I well, think we'll that's important. Then we'll find, it. Then yeah, like, we'll okay. find it. We don't need to spend time sitting here with yeah. quiet. But, one thing is your experience of trying to find order in your world is required in order to even create a plan of attack, right? And right. this is important too for what I do in my work is creating a plan of attack because people want to see the pattern. They want to know there's a pattern. They want the pat. They use the pattern to shoehorn themselves into all kinds of challenging and difficult situations. If they thought they were just shoehorning themselves into a giant washing machine with no end of the cycle or anything, they may say no, right? But so how do we find this correct lineup of pattern and chaos or pattern and nebulosity? Like I like nebulosity better. That's a weird word, but it just mm-hmm. chaos makes it seem like there's something very negative about it when it's not. It's just sort of chaos is more like a nihilistic approach. Well, it's it's a term that's been really negative for a very long time, but because now there's chaos theory within science, it's gaining a little bit of a recognition of what I think it really means, which is Mm -hmm. just the lack of pattern. Chaos is the lack of pattern. Sure. Um, And nebulosity sounds like, oh, it's just wide open, but you know most of the meditative, high-end meditative states that people talk about – or emptiness or awareness or natural state or these things. And they are kind of a state of being nebulous, right? Not a state of being chaotic. When people talk about that higher end of that meditative experience, they're usually looking for um, not pattern, but calm, collectedness, evenness, uh, something else. But chaos seems like the negative. Anyway, it's a really interesting topic conversation i don't want to go off onto that tangent i just want to bring it back to my experience this weekend was i have to continue to to toggle between pattern and uncertainty pattern and chaos and help people have patterns so that they're ready to do work that's really hard and challenging and difficult but to recognize the fundamental ground of all of what they're doing when they're running a race is uncertain and that that hanging on to certainty, that hanging on to that pattern is likely a thing that may pull them under and and create, or because they'll hold on to it. You know how they say when a drowning person, like be very wary jumping out into the water with a drowning person, because that person's in chaos and they're looking for pattern and you're the pattern, they're going to drag your ass down to the mm-hmm. bottom because they don't want that uncertainty of just letting it go. Now, of course, no one wants to die and we, we're not talking about life and death. Maybe the, uh, maybe I stretched that analogy mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. too far. No, no. But I think, yeah, that was, my takeaway from this weekend's work was patterns essential, but uncert- dealing with uncertainty is essential too. And how do we run the traps on that? And that might be instructive for you from a work perspective. Not that we were going to necessarily divert this whole conversation onto that topic. Well, it's just a, a super well, fruitful I came in like kind of sarcastically reducing the pattern of what I do, which is constant. It's a constant pattern of, of running through the motions, construct the email, take the pictures, write the thing, fix the site, do the shipping, get on the meetings figure out the shoes, next color, like all the stuff, it never ends, <laughs> but it doesn't seem to have a correlation. It's, uh, and that's why I jokingly say like, yeah, none of it, I'm not doing anything. I'm just doing every, like all the, all the little <laughs> things. It's like the practice of, yeah. it's just the pattern. Every day is kind of more or less predetermined with the bullet points of things that have to be done. I was just on a call with 
um, the shipping carriers and figuring out rates. Like you just got to do it. It's just like the fundamentals. You got to wake up, got to do it. But the main thing that I'm looking forward to in the pursuit is, well, is there something on the back end of that? <laughs> Why, like with this, this is, this practice is like, well, is it, it's very similar to like training and training and training. Monday is this, Tuesday is easy miles where, you know, track mm -hmm. day, Wednesday is bulk miles, you know, whatever you want to call it. And then you end up at like all in effort. And I was talking to Lena about this. I was like all in effort to the, the importance of the milestone race. And we've, we had an episode on milestones and kind of like these, they're, they're more, they're, they're like, they're definitely blocks. They're skipping stones. They're, you know, kind of, but it's not the end all be all. And then we get to these races and my sentiment from the weekend was that it was, it was astonishing. It was so white, like eye opening. Every single person I met did probably their best performance. Yeah. We, we had a really good day. We had a really good day. <laughs> my paper. wife did a 10 minute PR. Yeah. But then you have this, and this is where it's kind of like, okay, then what? But then there was the unknown that was, there were some folks that didn't quite get to the, well, the entire, the, the entire race, just, just, let's just point out the pink elephant in the room, right? Mm-hmm. The entire race and the reason we selected that particular race was because it was at a, a location for one of our athletes to try to get her Olympic trials qualifier. Flat and fast, good time of year, easy marathon. And great. not CIM. We were tired yeah. of CIM. We'd yeah, gone there sure. repeatedly uh, and couldn't get into Chicago because the, we just couldn't get – that athlete couldn't get into that race. It's really hard to get into the elite field. And she hadn't registered for it beforehand, so – but we selected this race, not knowing very much about it, looking at the elevation chart and everything else and selected it and said, this is going to be good. And we'd had multiple athletes out there who had raced. But this athlete just missed the qualifier. It's, it requires a 236.59. She ran 239.04 or something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, and so everyone that was there, and she PR'd. Yeah. Um, so did almost everybody in our group. I, right. I think... Only one person didn't, but that person was had a young man's PR and knew he was not likely to get it, but he's working his way back down there. So, yeah. And we had some pretty huge PRs. So, uh, But ultimately, the thing about it is it was flavored by all of our hinging hope on the one human being in our group that had a non-arbitrary goal. Mm. And, you know, I harp on this all the time about arbitrariness and how 99.9% .9 of the goals that people set are arbitrary, even if you're picking an Olympic trial, even if you're picking um, Boston, right? And even Olympic trials, because as our athlete said, she's now run four times under the old standard, mm -hmm. but the standard changed right. and she missed it. And she's not going to go get it again because that was the day we picked and she doesn't want to go back to CIM. And I totally appreciate that. We'd have a hard time re turning back around after a 239 and being ready less than a month later yeah. to be ready for a race. Mm -hmm. But um, she just said, we'll get ready for it in four years. We've got, she's younger, so we, we'll, we'll just get after it. But it, it, it flavored everything. It's it, an interesting, it, it, it was a weird. It's a weird vibe. It's a weird feeling. And my wife, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but I think in the. In, in the back of her head, she's kind of like, I wonder how close I can get to three. Mm -hmm. And she was at like maybe 3.11, had a 10-minute PR. And I think that there was the ambiguity of that zone that's kind of like, it is the what if. Now, it is more arbitrary than the cutoff for the OTQ, but it is another side, the shadow side of the actual intention. It's, and this happens to me all the time. Like, mm -hmm. y you know, so it's weird to do great <laughs> and, but, and also wonder what no, if. And feel bad. Feel bad. It's weird. It's weird. <laughs> I know. It's weird. That's what I this told what my brother the other day. I was like, dude, I'm the fucking man. I've done everything I wanted to do. I'm the king. I said this on a call at. In Indianapolis, I said, I get to design shoes. They are my favorite shoes. 
I cannot believe people. They're really good shoes. I can't believe people are doing the shit that they're doing in these shoes. I'm in magazines. I've got the stuff. Got an editor's choice. I was with you all weekend, and I don't know more than at least ten people said. Dude, you're from Austin. Dude, Atreyu, you, yeah. Michael. They knew you either as Austin, Atreyu, you, or Michael. <laughs> and, and so I got told my brother, I was like, Gabe, I don't have a reason to succeed. Any like I made it in my mind. I just having a hard time making money from it, you know, mm-hmm. or building. I'll clarify that. Just making the business. I get. I'm so lucky to have a wage to live in Austin. I'm so lucky, and I'm not. You know, I'm. But like, there's the other side of it. Like, but even though I'm doing, this is the problem. Why we talk about stealing the culture? Because in business culture, you're a failure. You know what I mean? Even That's though the, you know you're there's a success. There's the shadow side Always. to me being like, if I sit back and and just think about being in the moment, like, how special is this? Why am I in such turmoil? Why are my race my races feel like this? My job feels like this. And, you know, it's easy for somebody to say, well, you did, you're doing good. You're doing good. Just keep going. Just keep going. Pablum. Bullshit. You, you know what no I mean? No one wants to hear it. And nobody wants to hear it. And, no. it's, and, and there's something that it feels like, this is where I think that there's something that it's the experiential learning that is the most important part of it. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Like, I don't know what's going to happen to Lena's racing, to the next OTQ attempt. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that we're we're doing an amazing thing, but why is there a cloud over it? Because we want. I know. And wanting creates expectation, need, and need and expectation create suffering. And this is a, this is this is not new, as we know. Yeah. Most religious spiritual traditions are based on this. Uh, you even look at the capitalist model is based on the you need something else. It, it it's. It's baked into our DNA. I think it's evolutionary. And I think this is the thing that I'm most excited about thinking about from an arbitrary perspective. Having just gone through a gut-wrenching two and a half years with Mm -hmm. an athlete who, when she came to work with me, she was very far. She had reached a time goal of 255, but she was not anywhere near that at the time that she came to move to me just because of a vagarity of different situations and changes and things that had happened. Um, And so when we started working together, I said, you know, we don't know exactly what we're going to be shooting for, but let's just get to work. And then finally knowing what we had to shoot for was a significantly big step from what had been achieved before and was still 10 minutes. I mean, the old standard was 10 minutes ahead of where she'd been, where she'd ever run before. And then this one was another 10 minutes or nine minutes ahead of where she'd ever been before. So you're looking at eight, 19, 18, 19 minutes that she had to cut off in two and a half years. It's a, it's a big ask. I can't, I, for, it's a I big can't ask. even so, imagine cutting that time off of. So the art, non-arbitrariness of that creates the shadow that you're talking about. Yeah. But I want to argue that people who have arbitrary goals there's also the shadow there because we just saw that with Lena. Lena was on on track to run a little faster that day. We yeah, were, we were watching that. We said, "Hey, if she holds it together, she's a she's nutrition gonna get- thing that she can't dial in her nutrition because she's got real gut." Yeah, and we I've, we yeah. we're gonna then we're gonna work through solutions for that, yeah. right? But the ultimate thing is that that it's a gift that arbitrariness. Believe me, having just gone through a non-arbitrary situation. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes it really hard for, I think that my athletes race, I think she could have gotten the trials qualifier. I think she knows she could have gotten the trials qualifier, but not on that day. Whether that's because we didn't prepare her psychologically for the things that were going to go on or whether we didn't prepare physiologically for the things that went on, her teammates, one of whose was her husband and the other one was somebody who trained with her almost mile for mile throughout. Actually, he trained less than they trained because he does less mileage he actually got under the standard at the end of the race and then her husband um said he like he doesn't know for sure but he felt really good and thought he maybe could have gotten under it as well when i just asked him anecdotally of course Mm -hmm. that's not it's not you can't take that to the bank and make money off of it but so and and she's a better marathoner than they are Mm -hmm. they might have been a little fitter than her but not that much but she's a better marathoner so what happened non-arbitrary goal Guaranteed. I, 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 I state that 
it is greatly preferable to have an arbitrary goal. If you can lean in to a beautiful race model or lean into a model of uncertainty and openness because you're allowed to allow your fitness. So Lena's There's so much there. So Lena's That's, race, so Lena's race turns yeah. out she's going to have a little bit of disappointment because she was on track on that day till late in the race there, yeah. to get a to run even more of a personal record than she did and to get closer to that sort of ongoing goal that she's had of sub three that has kind of really fucked with her head and her body repeatedly at different races. Mm -hmm. And this was the first race that she sort of said, I'm going to go out and just have fun and enjoy it and try to pick it up near the end. And she did all of that, but she just was unable to pick it up at the end the way that she wanted to. And in fact, she actually faded a little bit because of the stomach issues. Mm -hmm. But all of that gave her this, this sort of sinking feeling of not achieving what she wanted to achieve. But yet outwardly, there's no question that she did a good thing. Whereas the athlete who was trying to get the Olympic trials qualifier, I mean, it's just a, it's shit. a binary it's goal. It's just a fucking sit sandwich. Yeah. It's just a yeah, shit it's... sandwich. She's incredibly mature. And we talked about this yeah. all summer long and into the new year and, in, and into this, this late cycle, how this was just one step in a long process that if we got it, didn't get it this time, we'd get it the next time. And that would relieve pressure. But, but 18 miles to 26 miles, 18 miles to 22 miles, feeling the race slip and that non-arbitrary goal creates a different space that I think anybody trying to get an OTQ, a, a, a Boston qualifier or a personal record or having these non-arbitrary goals in their heads, right? They feel their nervous system shrink up, tighten, constrict, not back into open space, totally feeling tight. And that makes every little bump in the road, every hill, every every challenge become nearly insurmountable because you're behind the eight ball. And this is why, and this is what we all sign up for. So coming back around to the beginning of this conversation in uncertainty, let's just Let's just go through in a training model, not today, but it, for somebody in a training model. And this is instructive for your Ironman process. Keep working through as many, you know, problem situations as you can. And knowing that you're never going to be able to handle all of them, but try to get better at dealing with them. And if we made one glaring error in my OTQ athlete's attempt, it was probably... Because our summer was so uncertain of our training, we had no real ability to like the last two weeks of training to know if we were even in the ballpark of achieving mm -hmm. the goal that we wanted it was so to. Hot. Because it was so hot and yeah. hard to tell that we saw some good indicators. So we're like, okay, let's just buy into that rather than seeing more and more of those positives. So we, it was really dangerous to lurk on the negatives. It's really dangerous to play to pay attention to your problem solving situations when you are still just trying to determine where you actually are. Now, I don't know if that was going on in her head. I have no idea. We, we haven't had a chance to fully post-op, but my, my sense is she had more pressure on her than anybody else did. And so, therefore, it was going to be a bigger ask. And this is, this is why people should be grateful and thankful for their arbitrary goals and not solidify too, too tightly on a non-arbitrary goal because you're likely to deal with much more challenge around it now somebody will say that's weak sauce come on let's step up let's go for it i mean still the i'm just gonna say that cultural expectation it's, is full of shit and bullshit and totally yep. it's like you feeling you're not a success it's exactly like what we're talking about with you and you're you feeling like you're not a successful businessman or an entrepreneur because you don't make because the standard 10x the, the arbitrary standard of doing business correct. is you're you're growing, you're getting bigger, you're doing your thing, like all the shit that drives people to literal insanity because there is no ceiling. Nope. You can be Jeff Bezos and still be a complete, and frankly, I, I would not want to be Jeff Bezos. Like, who does? Well, Zuckerberg like, wants to be Bezos, who wants to yeah, be... Yeah, like, it's I mean, weird to even think about where do you go? If you're climbing up a ladder, going nowhere, you, you know? So it's like, where... But, but there is something so special about the the pursuit and the goal the arbitrary goal it sounds like the arbitrary goal is something that 
can be an absolutely beautiful thing. It can be much more of a beautiful experience than the pressure that a binary well, goal would have. Well, one of the things I want to say about that is that when you set the goal, you recognize it as ontologically or at, the, at its base level arbitrary. However, you need it to be meaningful, motivating, an anchor. Hell yes. If it's not, yeah. it's going to slip and slide and then become meaningless. You have to, soli- you have to they so would call not, this equity. You would, have to, you would have to take your philosophical goal and put tangible equities to it. Correct. And, and what do you own in that goal? Like, what are you, I think, I think this is where the, where the culture is completely fucked right now in terms of how we're looking at the sport in terms of, um, you you know, there's, there's no problem with the Boston qualifying standard. There's no problem with it. Other than the fact that it, it's really annoying that it moves and you don't know it's until like again. two weeks. Get, yeah, get it's going to move again. again. Yeah. But here's the deal with that. The non-arbitrary it's not version their of it. Fault. Yeah. It's not their fault. I mean, I guess you could say, well, they control it. But like, it's not, like, it's, it's just like happen. anything else. Like, it, it is. It just is. For, but to try and redefine what we already know to be true, which is an arbitrary, there is no standard. It is, it is, it, it doesn't exist. Um, for us to try really hard at defining that point. You know, I think remember I remember when I was doing it, it was like, oh, if you get it by five minutes, all my friends said that that was a good <laughs> enough buffer. So I need five minutes. I need 255. It, but if we recognize <laughs> that we set a goal to give us a frame around our training and a frame around our mindset, then we recognize that that basically at its deepest level is, is uncer- uncertain and arbitrary then what we try to do then is get as fit as we possibly can in relation to it. And that 255 might become one of our pacing ranges. Correct. That's and why that's I a little create, bit fluid. Which is why I create that yeah, fluidity. Yeah, exactly. So, you can so it isn't, it isn't. It's Correct. weird that it's like they matter, just not in the way that we internalize Correct. it because that screws with your nervous system, ultimately speaking. Well, because you identify with it. Right. This mm-hmm. is the problem is that you identify with it. Then it becomes you and your success and failure is rel- relative to that goal that you set, which was necessary to have, but yet ontologically it's meaningless because it's a moving target all the time. It's always moving. And this is, this is even for my, my Olympic trials, quali- my athlete who was trying to get the Olympic trials qualifier, even though she had a non-arbitrary time, that time was arbitrary from the year, but be- from this cycle before, cause it was 245 and it moved to 236, right? That's a big yeah. change, but, but it wasn't arbitrary when the window, when she fully onboarded and said, this is what we're going to go do. She knew what she was dealing yeah. with. But if we had had a number that was, let's shoot between 235 and 245, I think she would have much more likely run 235 mm-hmm. <laughs> because one of the things about the human species that's really important with these are viewing things arbitrarily is that we can we can continue to allow our creativity and our motivation and our will to do our best to show up and there is this sense of not identity but just self-expression that wants beauty which is why i came up with the idea of the beautiful race because we want that beauty and we know it when we feel it, not when we see it. That's what Sarah said afterwards. She said, I ran the best race I could run on that day. Disappointed, but I ran, and she did run a beautiful race. It just didn't turn out to be the number that she wanted. And it would have looked like her teammate who did meet that objective, actually got five or seven seconds under the barrier and was with her at 20. I think they were together at least they were together at 15 when we saw them and we didn't get to stop at the 20 mile marker. We missed them there, but somewhere between 20 and 20, 18 and 22, he separated because she was slipping and he wanted to go get it. And then he got it, but it was arbitrary for him too. Yeah. It was her number, not his yeah, number, yeah. but it yeah. was, he had to grab onto something. And so then he feels this sense and this is crazy. He feels this sense of accomplishment, but gutted, at the same time, because she didn't get his training partner, whose main goal was the goal that they were all for. So he's like, I did it, but she didn't do it. So, but this is the thing we can, I, I've been, you know, I want to, I want to highlight this too. This is, I think will be interesting for our listeners since we don't have a ton of them. 
while we were en route, Michael and I were driving around, and we had Chef James with us, which was awesome. It was good, great to meet Chef James. Mm-hmm. If he listens to us, hat tip to you, James. It was, we'd love to get some miles in with you at some yeah. point. Um, we, as we traveled together, Michael said to me, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing in the world. I want to be a coach. I really, really want to be a coach. This is so cool. Like, you have the greatest job in the world. And then after the race was over, we didn't get to see each other. For We, we were around each other, but we were it was, it was chaos, as it always is at a finish yeah. line. But then we met up with our crew um, at, a, at a, a venue and had a, a drink and relaxed and kind of all came back together. And I said to Michael, how do you feel about coaching now? And he's like, fuck that. <laughs> nope. So reflect on that a little bit because it was really instructive to me. It was really valuable and instructive to me because I do internalize these things and take them seriously too. So to hear that actually said to me, yeah, this is a tough job. Like it's, it's a lot harder than people recognize. Yeah. I, I could feel the weight of it. it. It was, it was an interesting, you said something really special, like there, you were, I don't know. Is it okay for me to say what would uh, you can say anything? Yeah, yeah. I, it, when when you were when you said, you know, three years ago, four years ago, you would have been gutted. Yes, because of the binary mm-hmm. goal setting. And there, what I was so impressed with was everybody's attitude. You work for so long years to try and kind of just chisel down to this one moment. And then if you come up short, it's the weirdest bag of emotion. And and I was so impressed by how everybody was generally supportive and just kind of wore this really cool sense of maybe prideful melancholy, but like it was it was it was really it was really special like but i then i like put myself in the situation and i'm like man it's just a heavy it's a heavy burden i would i wouldn't want to to have to to own that feeling uh, it's as hard a coach. to carry your own burden it's harder to carry somebody else's that's that's basically i was like oh i don't know because i know that i'm the kind of person that would just i mean i go I go crazy when, when, when I'm trying to take care of other people and I yell and scream and lose my cool. And, you know, I'm, I really dead take, it takes some restraint on my end. So, um, the, the amount of positivity almost reassured me that I wouldn't be capable of that because, um, because I am unhinged at best when I'm trying to deal with my own emotions. You know, I've been coaching for 30 years and it's only been in the last four to six, four to six years that I have actually gained that wisdom. Uh, and a lot of that came from a spiritual practice, from a practice that what I call spiritual, some others might call it inner work, but it's that work of saying, who am I that has any claim on that human being's best or worst effort? And who am I to yeah. think that they are me and who am I even to myself if you want to get down to the real nitty gritty about it and it helps it helps but it doesn't take the sadness away I mean I was I cried afterwards Mm -hmm. for her I did cry for her Mm -hmm. but the first words I said to her right after of course we got the finish line and and not the first words I said to her but the first meaningful words I said to her when we got back together was I said of just how proud of her I was Mm. because I know how hard it is to be the leader on a team mm-hmm. and um, to be exposed and to miss the mark that you'd set. And she said, well, how can you know that? I said, because I'm the leader of the whole team. Mm-hmm. And I know exactly how you feel because I feel the same way. And she got tears in her eyes and she was like, whoa. I'm like, yeah, we're in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not you, but I'm with you in the same boat rowing towards the same goal. And guess what? Every other person that you feel that melancholy for, they also are in that same boat Mm -hmm. because we're in the Telos boat and we're on a team. This Mm -hmm. is what teams do. Teams 
don't run off and talk about how great their PR was. That's that's the that <laughs> oh, man, it's they, so special to even kind of if you want to just why I think running is a simulation of a perfect world because like in no other dynamic is that more natural. Like in a business dynamic, it's so easy to say this is my team. We're all, you know, I when when people tell you how to run a business, they like to say things like, "Well, your team has to be all shooting for the the same goal." And it's different. It's different when money's involved. Like it's different when there's other things involved. And they say like, well, the goal has to be bigger than the success. Like, I get that. Like I get the whole thing, but it is so hard to do this in real life. Whereas running and the culture of running in these particular events like are such fertile grounds to kind of really understand exactly what that looks and feels like because there's no, it would be very difficult for me to tell you a team dynamic within the confinement of something like a business as opposed to either a training group or a family. Mm -hmm. And they're basically run the same way. You know, some people don't realize that everybody's in it. Like, but the family just wants to be okay. The training group just wants to be okay. Everybody wants to, you know, see everybody win. And I mean, that, that but when you create a culture, which I've, had worked hard at this and it's not just me. Okay. I don't, I don't want it to seem like it's just me, but when my, this group who runs and trains together consistently, both online and in, in, and when you meet our folks that, that when you were in Boston, you got to meet our online folks and they also carry this same yeah, feeling of being in the same boat together. Uh, we've worked really hard. It's interesting. Even from afar, they want that team. They're part of it. They're a part of it, and it's even from afar. They're like, "Shit, I want my, I want my team to have that." Yes, <laughs> that win. Yes, you know, it's yes. it's interesting that that it is. It's so resonant there. This is why. So you you brought up a couple things. Number one, a, that kind of that kind of culture is hard earned. And it's earned, you know, I think I've mentioned this a couple of times in, in various places. Uh, I never remember all my stories and where I've told them. So if I've told it here too many times, say, oh, sis, and said it again. When I walked through the University of Texas, I coached there for six or seven years. When I first walked through the training room, there was a picture of Mac Brown, who was the head coach at UT. Yeah. And it says, uh, athletes are a reflection of the coach. When I first saw that, having come from Rogue and the environment that I was creating at Rogue at the time, the group that I had before, I was like, that's bullshit. Like, there's so many different people. Everybody's a different person. There's no way. And most of the teams I had been on had been that the athletes were the reflection. The athletes were all that mattered, right? I did, but as I left that experience of being a collegiate coach, I hat tipped that statement. Athletes are a reflection of the coach. The coach holds the container that they fall into it holds the values the ethics the all the the things that map the principles the ethics the values all those things are held by the coach and if the coach can't hold that the group won't have that effort that won't have that look and it's uh it was it's been really instructive as I started a different group to make sure that I personally maintain and sustain the kind of mindset and viewpoint that I want my athletes to have. And I don't always succeed at it. I'm not, this is not a pat on the back in any way. It's much more coaches. If you're listening to this and you're thinking about coaching, you need to realize that you're held to a standard that is at least the same, at least compounded by every single athlete that you coach. And the more you coach, the more it compounds and the more responsibility you hold if you want to have a good culture. And as you just noted, you've now been around my culture. You were in it some. You train a little bit with my group, but mostly you see it through Lena. And then you've been on two trips now where we've been around each other. Mm -hmm. And as I said, I was so proud of my athlete that missed her qualifier. And I was so proud of all of my group because they exhibit values that I hold deeply and therefore I know I believe they will help them 
And I believe they helped my athlete when she failed because she felt it. She felt the pressure of them, but she also felt the solace from them and the recognition that, hey, she'll get back out of it. You know, there's some heaviness here. It's like tough and challenging. And then I want to throw one more thing into, the, into this thing is right before the, I mean, on the Monday prior to this event, the Austin running community that I've been a part of for a long time had a member of the community um, take his own life. And so you want sobering experience of going into a race Every where you week. think that it's going to be a big deal and someone who you deeply resonate with, who has been shared miles. I've shared miles with this person. Um, most of my group, many of the people in my group had shared miles with him. They knew him by reputation and by experience. And he was a strong and powerful human being who still then had enough challenge in his life to take his own life. And that is a deep, that is a sobriety check on whatever game you think you're playing when you're on a starting line, mm -hmm. you know? Um, did that put heavy into the whole experience? I doubt it. We were loose and flexible and relaxed, but a race result, even at that level with this athlete who was trying to get no TQ, um, fails to hold the same import as a human life. And as much as running is a path with heart, remember it as you, as Michael says, it's a simulation. It's not the real thing. The real thing is when you wake, how you wake up, how you go to bed, how your kids see you and hear you, how your friends see you and hear you, how your, your partner, your wife, your husband, how you are in the world. These are, uh, the doings, not the beings are, what we see your being shows up in doings but the doings is how we see it i got to go to the service for this person who passed away and my former partner chris mcclung who's the does the running rogue podcast he spoke a few words about this person and one of the things he said was this person was a doer and I don't know that you could possibly come up with a more, something I would aspire to more than being a doer. I think right now I'm more of a thinker mm. and more of a... In the head. And I don't want to be that. I know. I want to be a doer. I know. That's the, that's the essence is it's, it's everything that I find myself, myself doing, I downplay it. And I emphasize, but listen, the, brother, the, the doing made him see no way out. Mm. So it's a heavy, dude, it's hard to be alive. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful, but it's hard. And, but I can tell you this, the journey is so much better when you have running as a way to work this stuff out. hundred percent. That's the whole thing. Whether you succeed or fail in a race, whether you're grieving in a community of people around how someone didn't see a reason to keep going, honoring that, but also deeply frustrated and sad and challenged. I mean, I threw shit around my house when I learned about this mm -hmm. passing. Um, but life is hard but it's easier when you do hard things. <laughs> Fucking A. That's so true. Holy smokes. Wow, we got heavy today. <laughs> no. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I, I, I mean, God, I mean, I could, I could, my, my typical fashion, I'm always trying to, get the mouth to snag the tail and kind of bring it in all full circle. But I mean, I don't even have to do that on this one because it's, it's literally the whole, it's the whole idea. And we keep circling this, don't we? Like, yeah, almost all of our episodes have this theme at heart and hopefully pe people keep listening. So if we get old, let us know, but 
you haven't let us know yet. <laughs> but I mean, it's there. I've got to think too that. Shit, man. I just don't have many words to. It's. I was once told that life isn't about avoiding pain. You're gonna. You're gonna. You're gonna experience pain. And to love is to hurt, and to live is to die. Okay. Well, now what? The same guy goes, you know, it's, if you know and you can kind of internalize and really accept the fact that it's not, the mission isn't to avoid pain. It's to let pain happen and how you deal with your pain will ultimately define what this person said to be character. And you can define character however you want. So what we do with our pain equals the quality and substance of our being. And I think there are two two scenarios in this. Is one we can think about it as like kind of a when am I gonna get, get in touch with pain? When is it gonna find me? Or we can go out and find it. And the reason that that running is a path with heart and a simulation of a perfect world is because we, we go out and find it. We find, we're trying to find the goal. But I think the quote that you said was that you'd be foolish to expect something that you deserve based off of what you think, you know, for your race or whatever, an event. But the goal is simply to keep on, if, we, if we're just going to go out and we're going to find it and we're going to tackle it and we're going to tackle it head on, we're going to learn something from it. That's the simulation that I keep talking of. It's, it can teach us anything. But what we're really doing is we're walking into the situation. In the inevitability. Mm-hmm. And th- this is why, I think ultimately speaking, the character that is defined from the group, you called it culture. I would say it's personified as character, it's culture, it's everything. It happens in businesses and families and groups, all of this stuff. Is, is defined by how we deal with these moments because we literally choose to walk into these moments based off of a quality goal, which is probably a little bit, if it was easy, it would mean nothing. And because it's hard, it's like that, I think it was the, the, the Apollo speech, not mm. because it is easy, but because it is hard. <laughs> That's why we're going to the moon. And it, it's, it's like that, that to me is the ultimate. Like we are born to explore into trying to understand meaning and that's a special thing. But there's this really incredible dichotomy that we have between that doing and doing hard things that you allude, that you that JFK is talking about in that. Mm-hmm. But there's this also the Taoist tradition of Asia, which then moves into Zen, which both of us are pretty heavily influenced by, mm-hmm. at least philosophically. Uh is that there's nothing to do and doing is a problem. So we have this juxtaposition, this this paradox mm-hmm. of doing and not doing. Now the not doing is not as focused in our culture. We're much more focused on doing and therefore character, as I was saying, the character of this man who passed away who I hold so dear mm-hmm. was his doing and I felt maybe I was not as up to snuff as he is or had been or has been. And so, Mm -hmm. but yet I know deep in my core that one of the key learnings for my next five to 50 years, however long I've got 
is to keep leaning into not doing because not doing allows because guess what as you said pain's coming no matter what it's inevitable <laughs> mm-hmm. and doing things seems to just create more pain we need to recognize that about our pursuit of running not the daily practice the daily practice typically brings joy brings meaning brings other things the pursuit is the part of it that grasping that needing and that grasping and needing to find balance between the desire and the attachment yes i mean i think that this is one of the problems of the eastern mindset that's brought into the western construct is this paradox just seems un there's no way to bridge between the two and what i think is it's not a bridge it's the Tao. It's both. It's friction. It's both pieces and, and, work essentially necessary, like a masculine right, and feminine. Yeah. They're they're a part of the same thing. There's you said that aspect of so sadness. If you're good at doing, and you're not good at not doing. There needs to be an. an you need to work on the other frequency on the to, resonant side of to that. flex yeah. into what you're good at. And we talk about this with training. Be wary of always training what you're not good at. Yeah. You need to come back to what you are good at, but don't lean too long into what you're good at because you need to work. I've on been the trying you're to do it. At. I'm not correct and good thinking, at, which is, and then eating yeah. shit sandwiches yeah. all the time, thinking that that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah. We don't have answers here, right? But I do think but, that. That's a that's an essential piece of the puzzle. Yeah, it's easy for us to 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 say it's about doing or it's about it, it's 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 a paradox. It's complicated. It's challenging. It's difficult, and that's what it's about. And maybe if there is something that I might say, it's probably not the. Perhaps it's not the best way to spend our time to beat ourselves up. It doesn't do any good. All you can do is get the learnings yeah. from the failure and move them forward and keep an eye on those to try to take them and make sure that they're... Do your best to recognize what was circumstantial and then what was a a, a, a miss, that a, a thing you need to shore up mm-hmm. to not have it happen again. So for Lena, since we can use her for as a perfect example... We have things to work on with her yeah. fueling. It's a if if she had not had the stomach problem, she would have gotten further down the road. Would she have stayed on pace all the way through? She probably would have gone through some suffering, but it made it much harder to deal with the suffering of the physical pain of just moving across the ground yeah. when you're at 22 and 23 and 24 miles, when your stomach is a wreck. I watched her come by. You know, We were standing in that same spot mm-hmm. where we saw the other athlete come by. And I saw her come by and she had the legs. Yeah, she always has the legs. She had the legs, yeah. but she didn't, but you could tell there was just, uh, it was pain and suffering. And so there's a thing to work on. So what are the what are the lessons for fueling and how we manage fueling and do we fuel? Do we not fuel? What but are the, not merely to go get five extra minutes. No. It it, it just to have a better just experience. Just to have a better experience. That's it. Yep. <laughs> like Because the time is because why would you do it all to give yourself a gold star at the end of the five minute? You know, I I just don't I just don't Because like even it. then, even when you get that goal even if my athlete had gotten an Olympic trials qualifier, something very quickly comes in. I mean, like a thief in the night and steals the joy. That's the reality too, <laughs> which is in this I other mean, parallel so world much. where people get what they want. They're still not happy. There's still going to be something that comes in there and causes that extra friction. And it's about learning to deal with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and recognizing it. And that's part of the not doing Part of the not doing is recognizing that your best effort is to just keep a goal, work towards it, and allow. Set a goal, work towards it, and allow. The part that we really struggle with is the allowing. It's the surrender. It's because we want we have those expectations. So and this is really and, challenging yeah. in the Western mindset too, because we come from a Christian. Many of us, even if we haven't yeah. been Christian, mm-hmm. we come from a Christian perspective of being flawed and failing and needing saving and then therefore we have this case we're never enough so we've always got to keep trying and striving 
whereas the wet Eastern approach already says you have a natural inherent goodness at your core, and that's what we have to explore and find. Um, to me, that's a path I'm much more yeah, interested in. it sounds in. so nice, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> I, it, 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 I do know that it yeah. helps because I... That always a, brings me back home. Yeah, it helps a lot. Yeah, I think it's foundational to uh, any real running practice is continuing to lean into the goodness, the, the innate goodness. Because those of us who are running, we have all of our limbs operating, our bodies working in fine order, mm-hmm. relative success enough to be able to focus on a goal that's completely arbitrary and not necessary for the overall health and well-being of our children and our grandchildren. And I mean, really, it's a, it's a luxury to be able to run. And so therefore, having this body and having this opportunity really is a gift and we should lean into that. We always, we seem, runners seem to think their bodies are failing them all the time. It's I like, know. It's a real good thing. I say. I, the body's a good thing. <laughs> I tried to put it into words, but I thought it would be just so culturally and socially, it just didn't feel right. But I was like, do you realize that you can, that there are people out there that can't run? Correct. It's, and it's very important and, to think and about so, that. I have a I have a I have an athlete who's a Telos athlete who has Lou Gehrig's disease. I right, mean, it, it, but we don't we never think about that in the culture. We always think my legs my aren't friend good who, enough. I'm or my fast, friend, yeah. or my friend who passed away, he's never going to get to go for another run. Right, and this was something right. he did on a daily basis. Golly, so hey, life is good. Life is good. Life is good, and, and we just have to keep working on seeing that. And running is a way for us to see life as a struggle, and life is good. Mm. Yeah, that was a heavy one. It was, but I I really <laughs> think it needed to be. I, I I don't know. I there there was a lot going on. I ne- I didn't I didn't think about about bringing in all of the different pieces into into the whole because my mind was. You we know. never know how these things are gonna play out, and one thing I've learned about life is you just meet what you meet with the character that you have. And I do think that you're right about character. I, I want to lean into that because it is the doing that we can work on. But, but it's th- then, but that doing is a based on a being and that being is what you have to work on. Right. Right. Like as the doing, the being, the doings come out of this natural character, but that character, is it reacting against a thing? This is why that innate goodness is so important. And something I think, uh, cause you don't always have to, work on something you don't you can there's it needs to be a mutually equitable amount of time spent realizing that we're already good enough yes and being good enough allows for you to handle uncertainty significantly better right because you're already good enough so you're just dealing with an uncertain situation and doing your best so it's definitely would be lopsided to just completely go into the storm every single day to try and become the best character person of all time. Maybe we should go into the storm trying to discover what we're made of. Yeah. And, and that is use that. Beautiful. Don't forget to use that because there are times when it's like, um, yeah, maybe we need to discover all that to realize what we're, what we're not, you know, mm-hmm. at the same time. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a big fan of trying to excavate on the negatives. What isn't happening here? I can tell you what is happening a lot of the time, but what isn't, what's going on under the hood. Yeah. And I can tell you that we just spent a weekend just like any other weekend in a really sweet little town, Mm -hmm. very quiet and great place to go run a marathon. There's no doubt about that. Um, Maybe could have used a little bit of crowd support from some of the athletes testimonies, but (laughs) I don't, I don't really know because I didn't run it. And I do know that we have another weekend coming up. There's today. It's interesting that we had the next day. We had two athletes running at Marine Corps. Right. In a, in in five days, I've got athletes running at New York City. And a couple of weeks later, I've got folks running at Philly. A couple of weeks later, I got folks. Yeah. And the band kept playing. They just, always will keep playing, yeah. man. Well, so as long crazy. as there's events, you know, the pandemic did throw a wrinkle in things. It made us really deal with uncertainty, but. Things are seemingly, quote unquote, back to normal. Speaking of back to normal, we won't be meeting next week because you're going to Japan, which I'm super excited to hear about how your trip goes. Have a fantastic trip and be sure to bring us some nuggets for our next 
our next conversation. I would love to hear some of your reflections and thoughts about the places you went to and, of course, how good the ramen was. Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> forward to it. I'm going to go search for the third fall colorway of 2024. <laughs> I've got two. Got but I need one more, and I'm going to go try and find some inspiration. Last time I went to Japan, I was trying to find inspiration for the the mark mm. and the name and mm-hmm. all the branding. Mm-hmm. And now, I'll, now I'm going to try and turn off, but the only thing I have really planned is to look for one more colorway for the fall. That's beautiful. I mean, we that wraps this whole conversation up. That experience my athlete had of not qualifying – her reaction afterwards is also I'm looking for inspiration on the thing. The first thing she says to me, I need to do X and Y to be ready for the next race. These are the things I'm missing. Yeah. So like it's immediately an inspiration for yeah. the next thing that comes yeah, up. Exactly. And the band kept playing. That's it, baby. <laughs> yeah. Godspeed, y'all. Godspeed. <laughs>